Good evening, folks, and coming to you live here from the 215 in Germantown, you are listening to the award-winning InfoHub Hour with Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom Join. And I'm Maleka Fruin. I live here in Germantown with my family. The InfoHub Hour is all about news and engagement in Germantown. You can check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org. Let's start the show. At the beginning of the summer, we spoke to Stephen Pickens and Mazi Kasher of the Philly Truce app. The app deemed to be the Uber of conflict resolution has gotten a lot of public attention since its inception in May. Since our last conversation, they have made some changes and today we wanna to talk about that for our neighbors. Stephen and Mazi, it is good to have you back and I'm so glad that you could join us. How are y'all doing today? Thank you, good to be back Rashid, thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Uh, and I know y'all just had an um, article that dropped in The Wire today, too. So you're feeling extra good seeing the features today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got a big write-up in Wired. Uh, huge publication, a tech publication. So that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. a national publication. And um, yeah, I was just reading it right now because y'all pressed me to. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, as you should. So first, <laughs> so first, how about y'all just tell us what was the original goal of the app? Uh, go ahead, Steve. Um, so the original goal of the app was to give the community community members a voice again. Uh, you know, back in I'm back in the '80s and even before then, you had neighbors that would call someone out on if something they were doing something that was wrong or. You know, they just saw something that could be dangerous or lead to, you know, uh, act of violence. So we wanted to give the community a way to call neighbors back out again on things they may be doing wrong in a positive way. So um, we developed the Philly Truce app as a means for uh, community members and um, to get to get help um, other than um, the police. And so there are two options that you can choose from when you open the app. So just walk me what those two options are. Sure. Uh, so there's two buttons, uh, get help and a volunteer. So basically, uh, get help means you have a knowledge of a situation that uh, you feel is going to turn violent if no intervention uh, takes place. Um, that means you're willing to uh, talk us through the situation and help us identify the players and, uh, you know, be present for us while we sort things out. And that, um, I mean, that, 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 that's about it. We, and what I'm saying is we need people to think in terms of uh, preventiveness or prevention, being preemptive, and that they're opening themselves to a process. Um, and we like to remind people that uh losing a life and going through grieving and funerals or having someone arrested and go through the criminal justice system is an awesome and depressing process most of the time so we we uh try to encourage this process um you know first and foremost the other button is um volunteer and volunteer means you want to be uh someone who offers help on the app uh, that's recently been modified to mean simply um, you make yourself available when you can. Once you uh, submit your profile on the app, 
uh, where it says become a volunteer. You know, we'll respond to you and say, thank you, welcome. And this is how you use the app. And essentially, the extent of your initial commitment is to man the app. And when help requests come in, uh, respond and do a simple intake process, which we explain in a video. So that is an update from uh, where we started six months ago. And I just would like to jump in to add um, on the get help or the, I'm sorry, the um, the volunteer button on the app. We're also looking for uh, faith-based organizations. We're looking for community-based organizations, uh, city agencies, and also just uh, the people in the community to come on and help your neighbors to make better decisions and help your neighbors to avoid you know, catastrophic uh, situations that we've been experiencing for a number of years now. We have something for everyone to do now. We have something for um, anyone who was willing to uh, speak a positive word or give some positive, a good advice, um, of course, through a vetting process that we will, that we have in place. Um, we, we're looking for you and we need you, your, um, your community needs you. And so for possible new listeners, you mentioned the process that people who sign up um, for this help may have to take. Just talk about the process just a little bit um, for people to get more acquainted with that. Sure. So um, when you hit get help, it asks for basic info, name, number, email address is optional, I believe, and a brief summary of what your uh, situation is. Um, again, what's really important to remember, the app is just a... a you know, a get in touch tool to get the process started. Once you uh, submit that that request for help, uh, a Philly Truce rep who, who takes it on the other end will usually text you back first within the app, chat you back. Um, basic things, are you safe? Can you talk? That's pretty much the go-to um, engagement. And we like people to get on the phone and start to talk about what's going on. And at that point, uh, the rep will start the intake process. Now, once that's done, um, you know, for the volunteer, they'll hit submit and, you know, their job is pretty much done, you know, unless they've indicated to us in other ways that they, they would like to be further involved. And then from there, we get into the process. Uh, now we have some you know, great partners that we'll be able to reach out to. We we have uh, PAN now, who fill up your anti-drug, anti-violence network, who um, do an incredible job on the street level of, of really getting out there and seeing what's going on in the neighborhoods, um, you know, in and around when homicides take place. So they've partnered with us now. So they will be handling um, the bulk of the street level uh, violence type mediations. And we just also solidified a partnership with the Philadelphia Community uh, Commission on Human Relations. And uh, a lot of people don't, don't know who this, this, this agency is, but it's essentially if you were to call 311 um, and you had a neighborly thing going on, a dispute, this is who would jump in. So essentially now we're like a clearinghouse. Um, we're, we're just kind of letting the community feel safe coming in. We don't deal with law enforcement. We don't deal with police. And we still have our reserve um, team of, you know, volunteer mediators who we actually trained in the beginning. 
we had to switch it up a little bit. Um, you know, having the capacity and the wherewithal to train on a regular basis was a little bit beyond us right now. So we do want to come back to that um, at some point. And also um, when we do seriously considering a third party to handle that as well. So right now, really, the volunteer bar has been lowered. You know, you never, ever, if you want to have to come out of your house or out of your car or out of your comfort zone, you, you log on to the app. That means if a call comes through, you'll get it. When you don't want to be bothered, you log out and that's it. And all you have to do is talk to someone, um, let them uh, vent a little bit, answer some questions for us and hit submit and we'll take it from there. Mm -hmm. Yep. So Mazi, this is like a lot to do with prevention and getting, getting to the, getting to a place where violence is not even an option at that point. It's mm -hmm. not an emergency app, mm -hmm. but I know that, Right. And I know that um, you've been mentioning some of the things that some of the ways you've had to change and pivot since May because of the feedback that you've gotten on the app and things like that. And it's, um, like you said, you started by training mediators. Talk a little bit more about how how that follow up changed. OK, um, well. We trained, okay, so the first time we were very fortunate, we had four dynamic, you know, decades-long experienced gentlemen uh, train our mediators, right? Like, just top class all the way around, okay? Um, that was kind of like a, a gift uh, from the Black Male Community Council, right? They provided us with that because they believed in what we did. Um so we got that, we got those people going. Um, and then we had so much attention that we had to start having other parts of the organization in place that we weren't really ready for. So a lot of the first cohort of mediators started to have other jobs, right? Like outreach and this and that to keep Philly Truce, you know, present in the community. So that, that took a, a little bit of the focus away from um, the app, right? And the app is the central thing. The next cohort we had training together, actually one of the original cohort uh, took the training on and she had so much experience and did a great job. But we found that, um, number one, a few things happened. In the first cohort, we had um, mock mediations right we had trained actors professional actors come in and basically stage a mediation you know and they did a great job and people thought twice about do i want to be sitting in that what one of our trainers called the hot seat right, right? so so you had some people still you know gung-ho and then you had some like oh maybe not that maybe i could just answer the app or I could go out and do some tabling, right? So that's part of what, what drove the pivot. And then after our second cohort, um, you know, we had some we had some internal breakdowns to be honest with you. And we were being compared to the trainings of organizations who've been doing this for decades, right? Mm -hmm. So we had to step back and say, okay, is this the best use of our energy and resources, right? And how can we get people 
to the finish line of feeling like, oh, if I do this, I can help without having such a, you know, we had long turnaround times. You know, we would have the first time we had an eight week training. The next time, you know, we had it just a, a, a afternoon, but the process of getting people onboarded with the app was a separate thing. So, you know, we were just learning. And what we learned is that um, to make the app effective as we want it to be as an app, it needs to behave the way people are used to apps behaving. For example, um, if I drive Uber, right, I don't mm-hmm. ever go meet anybody. I upload some documents. They check it. My insurance is good. My license is good. You're free to drive, right? I never met anybody to drive Uber. I know at some point they had inspection stations or lift, but by and large, you don't have to meet anybody. You just meet some requirements. You're free to go do what you're going to do. You know, same with Airbnb. I don't meet anyone. And and sometimes I go to Airbnb and I never meet a person. It's like, here's the key code. Here's that. Here's that. So, you know, to make the app viable as an app, unfortunately, although we try to cultivate some real human connection, it has to act like a robot to get people <laughs> to act like human beings again. So that's that's what we learned. We had to let the app do the things people like apps to do, which is get around dealing with people. You know what I mean? You know, but that's really helpful to know. And it's yeah. just it's it's really interesting the way that that unfolded. Yeah. And you've been mentioning a lot of different organizations and a lot of different collaborations, the Black Male Community Council, the Commission of Human Relations. It it, it sounds like as this app has progressed, it was almost it almost became a good way to be a hub for all of the organizations that uh, were already doing this work in pre- preventing violence. Can you all yeah. talk about that a little bit? Well, that that's I'll let Steve take that because that's his favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> well, that's um, the exact reason. One of the exact reasons why we um, created the app um, in order to bring all the resources onto one platform. So not only the resources, but the city agencies, um, the community members, um, the non-government agency organizations or agencies just so that everyone can know what someone is doing in Mount Airy or Southwest Philly or, you know, Oak Lane or just West Philly all around the city so that we're all on the same page. Cause um, let's be honest around the city, we're all experienced and beyond, we're all experiencing the same problem, which is the uh, violence. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was something we envisioned. Um, I think partially we got distracted. And then on another level, we may have even gotten discouraged when we um, started to see how much, um, how, how pressed a lot of people who go for the same grants are to protect their fiefdom and their grants, right? So the idea is great. Let's all get together. Let's, you know what I mean? But sometimes it takes a a special person or a more faithful, trustworthy, bigger person to say, yeah, I can see that. Let's, let's try to do X, Y, Z together. But we've come back around to it 
by trial and error anyway. Um, and, you know, these these relationships that we just solidified are all people or agencies that we had been talking to in the beginning anyway. So I'm not saying these were some of the, you know, the hesitant ones. It's just we proved a certain viability. You know, we came back around and then we said, well, what about this? You know, and now I think that we're saying, how about, you know, let us just throw you some people to do what you continue to do. Um, and especially with Pan, they were really, uh, Mr. Mosey was really open because they typically go out after a homicide. So they're like, well, if we can get some prior knowledge or some prior investigation, you know, some some intelligence. What a great difference that would make in the work they do, you know. So that was an intention that I guess we uh, stumbled back onto. And it seems to be going in that direction, you know, which is great for us. Definitely definitely some of the challenges we've heard from other activists doing this work. Go ahead, Rashid. Yeah, I was going to say just stepping stones, right? With anything, it's almost just like stepping stones, trial and error. You can't succeed until you fail not even saying it's failure but you got to have those road bumps yeah but besides oh go ahead no i also wanted to add because that's a very important piece to the way that the app functions in terms of having all the organizations that have been around for 30 40 50 i mean or less you know it's our city is um have so many hundreds of organizations everyone wants to help everyone wants to do something from parishioners to you know um the community members of the community so this is a way for everyone to work together um that's that's all that we're not affiliate truce app isn't a organization that's looking to compete or looking to do anything different we're just um asking everyone with a a small or a large organization to just um use the app as a way to get information from directly from the communities on which you operate in currently. Yep. Mm -hmm. So cooperativeness, that's important. Um, And so, I mean, just to go with that, I mean, besides the partnerships, of course, the press has helped immensely as well. But aside from just the great press and just the partnerships, what other ways um, are you reaching out to just let people know that the app exists and finding people who can volunteer to be a part of this? And then just how can people just get involved to support you as well as volunteers or to even support you financially because Giving Tuesday is coming. Right. <laughs> well, I'm glad you reminded us. Yes. Uh, so, so look, we, you know, um, while we revamped things technologically, we kind of uh, took the month of October to, you know, kind of fall back a little bit and, you know, perfect timing as soon as, you know, like I believe yesterday, the, uh, updates hit the app store and then today we get the wired magazine right so you know it's kind of like here we go again um and we have things coming up and another thing we learned from the summer too because we got some attention and we we were fortunate to get a lot of great opportunities um welcome america made in america but, but but we had to jump at them you know we weren't really um planned that wasn't all planned stuff but so we we were able to jump at it. So saying all that to say, um, our our next big, big push is um, we're getting ready for King Day of Service. 
Um, we have some some very powerful meetings going on with the YMCA, Greater Greater Philadelphia YMCA right now uh, to do an activation um, on King Day that continues throughout um, uh, Black History Month. I don't know if we got a new name for that yet. Everything got new names now. Um, but, uh, you know, so February, <laughs> we'll just call it February. And um, and that's called the, the Philly Philly Hunger Games is what we're working with. So we're basically trying to build the community service um, into a contest for the kids um, through the through the wise uh, teen advocacy arm. Um, we also finally got uh, this this Philly Truce Power Up Challenge. We've been trying to get this program together all summer. We finally got three high schools. We got it narrowed down to the most likely prospects being Gratz, uh, Sankofa Academy, and El Centro up, up there, and uh, I guess that's Frankfurt. And essentially, uh, you know, we have a, a nice education team here. Shout out to Felicia and Darian. So they're putting together this whole program, a uh, like a case study for the kids, and they learn how to problem solve and all this stuff around violence and all the things that go around it. And we have a lunch for them. So saying all I have to say now, you know, now that we have that part sorted out where it's okay, um, we can start to have connections that allow us to just refer, refer, refer. We can we can get more traffic. So now the focus is bringing young people in, right? The, the new app has music and videos in it and stuff to hold people's attention, but also things that are, you know, um, counterbalance what's on the radio so you got some some positive content you know still uh well produced popular you know good stuff but just to give people a different message so now we're trying to bring the truce culture about right get the kids involved you know have some music have some videos have some programming on the app um we have uh philly's opinion now the the philliesopinion.com which is also on the app you can you can uh, let us know your opinion. You know what I mean? We got all kinds of data from the police and the prisons about what what the result is. But now we're giving the people the chance to say, well, well, this is what's really going on. So when we can say, OK, well, this state of existence is, is giving us these results. If we can invert this, we should be able to invert that. So that's on the app now. We got referral services built into the app now. People can self-refer for shelter, food, substance abuse, all kinds of stuff. So uh, we made great strides in, in the in the past six months. And um, you know, people just need to download the app, App Store, Play Store, Philly Truce. They can go to phillytruce.com. You can donate in the app. You can donate at the website. You can donate of your time by uh, volunteering. And um, I just need to give a quick shout out to another initiative that Philly Truce is kind of partnering with some other agencies to, uh, God willing, bring about a um, Thanksgiving weekend memorial uh, truce and a Christmas Day to New Year's Day uh, holiday stand down. And I'll hopefully I can come back and bring you more information about that soon. But ultimately, what it is is we're looking to put together a coalition of a combination of armed security, um, possibly a retired military 
and civilians who can really and will patrol the streets in these neighborhoods over the holidays um, this winter. Now, it's an ambitious thing, um, and I'll give you guys the link and all that. There's a GoFundMe at powerplatform.com. Um, that's P-L-A-T-F-O-R-U-M.com, Power Platform. Uh, we're looking to raise money to uh, pay the train security, offer the civilian stipends, have vehicles and whatever other supplies we may need to execute this successfully. Um, we'll be hearing more about that in the coming days. Um, so that's all the stuff people can get involved in. So most of it you'll find at phillytruce.com. So I, I would like to just jump in um, real quick, Rashid and Maleka. Um, we really need the support from the community um, in Germantown, in Mount Airy, Chestnut Hill, the Oak Lane sections of the city, and citywide, basically, because um, we're seeking to deliver this app as a tool for the city of Philadelphia to make it a safer and more, um, you know, uh, the, for the quality of life to improve for the citizens, which we all in the city, we all live in. So um, we've definitely, we definitely need your support financially. You can go to the app and you can donate from the app, as Mazee said, and also at phillytruce.com. You can uh, donate as well. We really need your financial support in building this app out and to make, to provide more services in the community in order to improve the quality of life. And we really would appreciate that each and every one of you, if you could help in this way, if not volunteer as well. Thank you. Absolutely, and that pretty much concludes it. So Steven and Mazi, it has been really good catching up with you as always. And we're just gonna wish you both the very best in your crusade to keep the peace on the streets. And thank so you. with that, we'll connect again soon. And so thank you again. Thank you, take care. Thank you so much. Desiree and Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. So I was so happy that I got to chat with both of you for the article. And I really was interested in how y'all came together and started working through this process of building the Philly Herb Hub. Can we just give listeners a quick overview of what the hub is? Yeah, so the Herb Hub is, you know, kind of like a experiment, labor of love, exploration that, you know, started with Kelly and I just trying to figure out how to move resources from folks who are growing herbs, know about herbs, have supplies, you know, information, getting into the hands of people who wanted to work with herbs but couldn't necessarily access um, either the materials or, you know, the knowledge to begin, you know, their herbal practice. And so, you know, she and I met when we were sharing studio space and we would <laughs> have these very crotchety conversations about how there's so much abundance, there's so much to go around, and yet the availability of resources, it's very one-sided. So it kind of was birthed as a 
anti-capitalist, let's do this gritty, <laughs> large-scale distro of herbs, um, especially for Black folks in Philly. And it's really kind of turned into a place where people can come together, share what they know about herbs, they don't know about herbs, what they're interested in learning, um, things that they're going through that they're hoping a relationship with herbs can speak to. So yeah, I'm excited to see to see how it's going to grow. Did you want to add anything, Kelly? Yeah, I guess I'll just say how it's functioning now is that um, Desiree set up an awesome like online website. And so currently it's open to Black folks in Philly. They can just go online, order. We have a ton of like dried herbs, tea blends, tinctures, salves, glycerites, like a whole slew of herbs available for people to play around with. And Des has set up the website so you can search by I'm having digestive issues or I'm wanting tea or so there's a lot of ways you can kind of navigate it. And then we're also like um, really interested and invested in the relationships with like the people who are growing and also um, the people who are using the hub. So like what do all of those people like want and need and have to offer and how can we like, yeah, be a hub (laughs) for that, that sort of like resource shared, sharing, knowledge sharing. So getting a lot of feedback from people who are using it, like, how's it going? What do you want? What isn't working here? What else would you like to see? Can you all just define what apothecary is? Because that's one of those things that I see that's like thrown out sometimes and people don't necessarily always know what that is. I think the meaning has changed a lot in the last like hundred years or so, but um, an apothecary used to be where you just go and get your medicine. Um, So there was plant medicine, there was mineral medicine, there was all kinds of stuff you could get contemporarily an apothecary can mean that, but a lot of times, and this is something that doesn't, I have sort of like, you know, talked about is it can mean just like a shop that's selling, like, I'm not going to swear on the radio, but, um, (laughs) you know, that's not really invested in in healing and medicine. It's just Mm -hmm. like selling whatever. So the word apothecary, I think, has lost a little bit of its specificity and, and has this kind of capitalist commodification now that might mean it's just like they're selling like trinkets. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would add um, is just in the spirit of the way that apothecaries kind of evolve from how they, you know, originally were formed. And when I hear about elders talking about going to the apothecary or a store where there is medicine or, or goods for the home, it really was a place for sharing information. It wasn't just a place that you went to say, okay, this is what I need for my, you know, (laughs) my candle collection, or this is what, you know, what I need for my, um, you know, face wash. And let me just get in, get out. You know, it's very trendy. There's music playing, you know, it was more about, let me learn, you know, this is a a space in my neighborhood where I can go to feel well, where I can meet and talk with other people who live in my community, um, who are dealing with some of the same issues. It was much more of, at least I know, you know, in uh, Black communities in Philly um, that I've sort of come up in, 
the apothecaries or the general stores that sold um, home re- remedies or medicines was a place to organize and a place to talk about wellness, not only as it relates to, okay, I'm having this ailment, what can I take for this ailment, but what can I do to learn more about myself, my body, learn about how to grow, what is it like to garden? I think a lot of spaces now um, have just come down to selling or it's very one-sided of like, this is what we have, here you go. And there are very little opportunities for that cultivation of continuity and relationships. I don't want to summarize what you said in the wrong way. So just how I see it, it's sort of an aesthetic, whereas though you are going beyond just a service and making it an actual exchange, correct? Like there's an exchange and there's like a continued relationship between you and the people, the patrons and, you know, the fo- it's not even patrons because it's free, right? Um, mm-hmm. But basically the community members, of course, who, you know, engage. Yeah, I think, you know, we're really invested in how people are forming relationships with these plants. You know, I, I'm always <laughs> kind of offering to people or, you know, inviting them to think about herbal medicine or how they are interacting with herbs, not just as, oh, I have this pain, you know, what can I take for it to go, to, go away? And of course, herbs are very effective in doing those things, but something that Kelly and I are always really passionate about is how this herbal practice or being around herbs or seeing herbs connects you back to you. And so it's not just about, oh, I have a headache, but how are you eating? How is your day? How are you holding your boundaries? You know, like, so it becomes this more whole person relationship. And it's one that we can check back in with folks about. We have a lot of people who use the hub that are return or they'll like re-up after a month or after they finish their bottle and they'll leave comments about, you know, how things felt. And so it feels less transactional in that way. It, it feels definitely more in the spirit of mutual aid and um, just sharing information and viewing each other as um, experts in our experience. So that feels, it feels like less clinical and less, here's this thing already prepackaged for you, take it. And then, you know, hopefully that works. I have no idea. I'm not invested in that answer, you know? Good. That's actually one of the things we wanted to touch on because um, a lot of people will probably get the sense that this is something they can come to to just automatically come and think that you would diagnose them. Right. And then they can be able to get these things just so people can be clear, just break down a little bit about what it is that you do and don't do. Because that's one of those things that people could have an assumption of and thinking that y'all are going to be able to diagnose them. And that's not, you know, they have to come with something, right? They have to come and know their own history. They have to know their own wellness. They have to know their own body, right? Yeah, I think um, herbs do require or invite that deeper kind of self-knowing and and self-reflection. And they can also foster that. But to your question of like, what do we do and what don't we do? Herbalists don't diagnose period ever legally. We're, you know, we're not medical practitioners. We don't have a medical license. And so therefore we don't diagnose. So that's kind of cool because we don't actually have to have a diagnosis. We just get to um, kind of like hear about symptoms 
and just start from there. Um, and so I think especially the herbs in the herb hub that we're, we have, we're trying to keep more herbs that help people's nervous system, that help people's digestive systems, that help with like skin, just really simple, basic stuff. Um, so we like to operate in that middle ground where it's like, we're not trying to help people who have like major complex health issues. We're more trying to help people like what Desiree was saying of be more in touch with themselves through their relationship with these plants. And a lot of that is supporting our mood, our energy, our digestion, our immunity. Those are kind of the main, some of the main areas that we have herbs in the hub for. Thank you, Kelly. That makes things really clear. And uh, it really explains a lot of how herbalists go at different, uh, the different practice of the healing work that, that you're talking about. And I was just thinking about the uh, the history of this work, and I know both of you have have studied and 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 know about it. The history of indig- the indigenous people that have done this work, the lines of plant medicine that have gone back. Some people call it folk medicine. Could you speak on that a little bit and where this kind of lineage comes from? Yeah. So I mean, I will definitely kind of <laughs> try to stick to my own um lived experiences and the experiences of my ancestors though you know indigenous communities all over the world have always had this sort of reciprocal process or relationship with the earth and with nature so that i think is the basis of all or many um indigenous medicinal um spiritual practices is this you know, idea that you are a part of the earth. You're not separate. You are not um, more important than nature. You are not more important than the plants. This is something that works symbiotically. And there's a reverence and respect for plants. There's a reverence and respect for the land. There's a reverence and respect for the people who are forming the communities and the ways that herbs and food tell stories and hold history. For me, I'm Black American, so a lot of my learnings about herbs came from people who farmed or who garden and how culinary medicine, you know, shows up in our in our cultural practices. And I mean, you know, everybody's like grandma has things they want to give you when your stomach hurts or when, you, you know, you're like feeling sick. But it wasn't something that I felt like I could turn to. I think herbal practice also underscores this idea that you are the authority on you. You know, you know what's best about what's going on in your body, um, what you need, what you don't like, what you like. And so, you know, kind of remembering and reclaiming that practice of sovereignty and honoring your agency is not something that I was socialized with. And that's been such a big part of how herbs have worked for me and folks that, you know, similarly are reconnecting to this like agricultural legacy, the richness of what it means to to work the land, to work earth, and to see the abundance of what grows around you and playing around with and exploring and learning herbs as a way to, yeah, remember that we can be reflected 
in that space. And so when I think about times when I have relied on herbs the most, yes, it has definitely been for physical ailments, um, particularly like my mood and feeling anxious or on the opposite end, feeling really unmotivated or stagnant. But it's really been helpful uh, in an energetic or spiritual way to help me develop ritual. And I think herbal work and working with herbs historically have always gone hand in hand with ritual. And again, this like deeper understanding of the interconnectedness of all of us. And so that's for me personally, that sort of, that goes hand in hand with any, you know, more um, academic learning about herbs, like the structure of the plant, um, what its properties are. For me, I always like to kind of support that with the more ritual-based kind of old ancient ways that herbs were our actual ancestors. So that's kind of how I I try and um, like bring in these different um, cultural practices of of what herb work can mean, you know, which is, I think, a a lot more expansive than what is it's often introduced to us as, you know, a very like Western idea of what herbalism is. I try to expand that and remind people that this is not new. This is, this is in you. So, you know, just giving an opportunity and, and the, the space for it to kind of come through. And briefly, if you, if y'all could tell us what, what the turning point was that got you into this work or a time of when herbs or, or plants have helped you. Kelly, do you want to start? I did not grow up using herbs at all. Literally never drank tea until I was 17 years old. And I was like, this is disgusting. Um, (laughs) But I was having health problems when I was in my early 20s. And I went to the doctors and I was just like, you want me to do what? Like, no way. I just felt really unsatisfied and unseen. And um, at that time I was, and still am, but like was really deep in like, DIY punk anarchist community and um, in different collective houses, people would have all these little tincture bottles and teas. And I was just like, what is all this stuff? And so I started just experimenting around and taking some classes and was like, oh, wow, this is really powerful. And I think, you know, because I was not really exposed to like holistic medicine growing up, initially I was approaching it as a kind of like I have menstrual cramps. I will take this tea instead of taking ibuprofen. Like I had a really like, cool, you can use plants instead of drugs. And I think as I have, you know, like being maybe 15 years into studying herbs and having relationship with them, I'm much more on this tip that does was just talking about where it's like a much more spiritual reverence. Like, and I use herbs almost every single day. I like actually get a little teary when I think about this, but they literally are my friends. Like they are actually like such solid support for me, specifically for mental health. It would be so painful to imagine like not actually having herbs in my life on a day-to-day basis. So um, yeah, I use herbs mostly for like my nervous system and they really work. And I know that because when I stop taking them for a while, I'll take breaks here and there. And then I'm like, whoa, I need my tea. Oh, God. And Desiree, you were kind of uh, kind of touching on this. But did you want to get into any any point that in your life where you're like, yes, this is this is uh, this is something that's really helpful for me. 
I think for for me, what I have really been interested in is how to work with herbs without ingesting them. Mm. (laughs) I'm very big on like touch and smell. Burning like cedar leaves will take me from like here to here real quick. Like, you know, if somebody's giving me attitude or if I'm just feeling very just like, um, burning things, smelling things. I'm just like holding them up to my nose, putting them on my pillow. I love herb work for me as a sensory experience because for a lot of my life, I was very dissociated from my body. You know, like I was not attentive to it. I felt like it was burdensome. It didn't work right. You know, I I had so much trouble um, operating in in society with the embodiment that I carry. I mean, you know, and there's so many reasons for that, but herb work and herbs came to me at a time when I just really felt uncomfortable with being who I was or, or trying to even find out or explore um, who I was. And just getting into the practice of growing them without, you know, again, ingesting them, just having plants around, drying and burning herbs, making art with herbs have really become kind of the main way that I interact with plants. Um, I love tinctures. I like to make them. Teas are a little harder because I don't like to slow down uh, long enough to make teas, but that's (laughs) my own issue. Um, We'll work on that later. But yeah, I, I like to have them around me um, again because it's really easy for me to forget that I grow the way I'm supposed to. And that's what plants do. They grow the way they're supposed to. They grow differently. They grow um, in, in varying colors and shapes and environments, you know, and they, and they do their thing. And so yeah, my herbal practice is deeply connected to me feeling okay and empowered to, to show up, to just show up. <laughs> um, and so that's, yeah, it's, it's something that I, like Kelly said, I notice when I am kind of out of relationship with herbs, mm-hmm. like it, it, it definitely shows up physically and mentally in my experience. And it, yeah, it, it feels like a, like a separation. Can you all let us know what your favorite blends or herbal items are and, and what you use them for? You want to start, Kelly? Oh my gosh, such an impossible question. Um, <laughs> but one of my favorite plants is skullcap. Skullcap, it, some people think of it as like a sedative and use it in sleep blends, but I am an anxious person and I just start drinking skullcap tea at like 9 a.m. It doesn't make me sleepy. It just helps me feel kind of steady. Um, and I love licorice root, um, licorice root in tea. Um, licorice is different than licorice flavored candy. It has a really different taste. Um, it has this kind of sweet flavor and is really, um, it helps support your adrenal glands. And so I just imagine like licorice root sort of like massaging my little adrenal glands all day. (laughs) And then, yeah, thinking about what, 
what Des was saying about like burning cedar leaves. I love the aromatic. So mugwort is one of my favorite. Um, mugwort is like a ancestral plant in my Irish lineage. And um, I love burning it. I love drinking tea. I use that in a much more like spiritual, like I was making an altar recently and I'm like, well, of course there has to be mugwort on this altar. Um, so it feels like a plant that I have like kind of a multiplicity of relationships with. And um, I would, if I had to go to a desert island and bring some plants, mugwort would be there for sure. <laughs> Top 10 dried herbs for, yeah. <laughs> for a desert island. What about you, Des? Mm. All of those that, that Kelly named are <laughs> heavy in my rotation. Um, yeah, I think maybe I'll just add, you know, some more of the flowers. Like I love rose. I love chamomile. <laughs> I, I like Kelly knows this. I like to think of chamomile as what I take when I'm being a baby about having stomach issues. Like, I don't know. I can have a cold. I can have back pain. Don't let my stomach be bubbly don't let it be bubbly. Like, you know, uh, I just, I can't, I can't handle that. And so chamomile is really gentle in that way. And it's used and has been used, um, especially for, with black Americans, anything from helping ease colds to again, this digestive, digestive issues and then sleep, you know, and, and calming of the nerves. Um, rose, I use, pretty much i try to put it in any tincture any blend i'm like we add a little bit of rose yeah rose i i really reminds me not really of like love for other people which i think is something that roses have become ubiquitous for it's like oh i like this person let me give them roses but roses for me really symbolize self-acceptance mm. you know it, it's it's a turning inward for me with rose and yeah, I think that herb too can be really calming, not just the taste of it or, you know, how it feels in your body, but the smell of it, the look of it. Again, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in, in the way that herbs kind of like look, they're like physical features and how that relates to some of the, the properties that they possess that, that help different issues in the bodies and, and how there's sometimes a correlation there. I also really like lemon balm. <laughs> I really like mints, um, mints, especially because I feel like for a lot of us, mint is like the first thing they're like, oh yeah, herbs. Like I've had mint, like peppermint, spearmint. Um, so I have a lot of respect for the mint families. And I think one of my favorite varieties is chocolate mint. This makes me feel spicy. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's the like the texture and the taste of it is super like bold and rich. Um, and so again, I, I use that a lot for not only kind of as a calming thing, both for my, my mood and my stomach, but in my work with chocolate mint, it reminds me to be resilient and that that is possible for me. So yeah, I think those are probably my, my top three or four. <laughs> I love that. I'm 100% chamomile gang over here and do not let me right? have chamomile and peppermint tea together. I will put both in the same <laughs> in the same little water mixture and have a grand time. I just learned recently, like one of my friends was like, I'm allergic to chamomile. 
And quite a few folks are allergic to chamomile. And I just, that blew my mind. So I was like, oh, but it's chamomile. Okay. <laughs> you're, not, you're not experiencing chamomile. <laughs> it's really something about like the calmness, like you said, the gentleness mm-hmm. that comes over. I'm like, woo, child, mm-hmm. like I need this. Like sometimes I need coffee mm-hmm. to wake myself up, but sometimes I need that chamomile to calm me down. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I'm really interested that I've been asking everybody who's come on the show in the last few weeks is, what they've learned over the last year, we've had a very transformational year, and I'm just very interested to know what everybody's learned, whether it be in the work they do or just, you know, just living in the last year. Let's see. Yeah, that's that's a first of all, that's a really, really insightful question. And this very long pause <laughs> that happened between you asking it and us answering, I think, yeah, just really really highlights that that is yeah that that's just so much of what I ask myself a lot <laughs> so my silence is more so which learning am I am I gonna am I gonna share but I think for me a big one or two big ones is number one I can't be afraid of change mm-hmm. um it is okay to not like it (laughs) it's okay to not prefer it but to be afraid of it in a way that you know stops me from experiencing it um or surrendering to it really which is the word um is not being gracious to myself to deny myself the opportunity to be able to change um and to hold space for those changes is probably one of the most compassionate things that I could do for myself, even though it's, it's really hard. Um, I love that answer. I think one of the things that it's like, I already knew this, but I think the point has been really um, highlighted or driven home this during the pandemic is like the, like we're all we've got, you know, like that community is actually the, thing that is getting people through this like yes we had stimulus checks but like it was actually you know not everyone got them and then yeah just the ways that people I think um have been showing up for each other doing like mutual aid projects and um just like I I feel like there's been such a surge in like checking in on your neighbor and um, really, really understanding that, like, as we are dealing with, um, some of the, like, you know, there's like these supply chain shortages and like, maybe I just saw this thing yesterday, like maybe there's going to be a worldwide coffee shortage and how we figure that stuff out and how we get through that is based on our relationships and what we're able to like share with each other. And, you know, thinking about what skills we have to offer, whether that be like, I, can sit and listen. I can do childcare for you. I can bring you food um, that we all actually have something to offer. And that's like the only kind of technology that's going to save us actually. <laughs> Is this the most, the most ancient technology of community and ritual and song and plants? Thank you both so much for that. And, and thank you both for joining us today and, and, sharing, and sharing your work. Thank you so much. And, you know, yes, to the Herb Hub, we have um, two pickup locations 
Um, for folks who want to grab herbs, one is in West Philly and the other is in Germantown. So, you know, thank you all too for all of the resources and just sharing of information that you do with Germantown. Um, yeah, I, I moved here three years ago and y'all don't play. <laughs> Germantown does not play. Um, so thank you for, for being here with us, especially through the last, the last year. It's been really important. Yeah, thanks so much. That was our interview with herbalist Desiree Thompson and Kelly McCarthy, who created the Philly Herb Hub, a free community apothecary where residents can get medicinal herbs and also learn about various plants and how to grow them. And well, Germantown, it's about that time. And if you have a story you want to hear covered, please contact us at gtown.infohub or text infohub to 73224 to start asking us some questions. Again, I am Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. And I'm Maleka Fruin. This has been the InfoHub Radio Hour. Thank you to our guests for joining us today. And thank you to our neighbors for listening and engaging as always. And until next week, good night, Germantown. <laughs>